0: Welcome to our C3 Grow podcast. Wherever you are today, we hope that this message encourages you. We'd love to see you in person at one of our three locations, Howick, Ormiston and Suva. Visit c3grow.org for details. This morning, we are continuing our series Wisdom from Above. We have been uh, walking through the book of James. Uh, We're almost at the end. Uh, This morning we're in James 5, 7 to 12. You can start turning there now if you like. And through the entire book of James, it is a book filled with wisdom. So we have been asking the question, what does it look like to live wisely in this world? And what does it look like to live wisely and to live well and right with God and with others? So James 5, 7 to 12. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we considered those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, Let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. So it is a great exhortation from James on patience. (laughs) The problem uh, that I think when we think, when do we need patience? Uh, It's always because something bad or hard uh, is happening to us, causing us to feel impatient. Uh, That is when we need patience. So it's perhaps not something that we love uh, thinking about or talking about, but it is essential for our lives as Christians. Uh, So I'm sure we've all discovered by now that life is basically a series of events uh, which make us feel impatient. Life is filled with all kinds of trials. Trials that we would like to speed up, that we would like to go around, bypass or avoid completely. Unfortunately, trials of all kinds are commonplace for every one of us, and Christians are no different. We are not exempt from the trials and the difficulties of life. Therefore, we will need some patience. So if you were looking for a quick fix or deliverance uh, from trials here on earth, I'm sad to tell you, you are not going to find it here. You've picked the wrong Lord to follow if that's what you were looking for. We don't follow Jesus to escape trials. That would be terrible theology. We follow Jesus because of who he is, because of what he has done, in spite of the trials that we may face as part of life or even on account of being a Christian. Because of this truth, James is very realistic here in this letter uh, and he is clearly telling people trials will come and you must have patience. He makes it clear that following Jesus is not an easy out or an escape from the trials of life. And he makes it clear how we are to navigate these trials. He's not interested in guiding you around the trials or avoiding them, even though that might be what we would like. But he is telling us how to navigate our way through the trial and how to do it well, right? James wants to help us to persevere with our faith intact and perhaps even stronger as we navigate our way through life's trials and we come out the other side with our faith intact, and probably even stronger. That is what we want, right? To be those Christians who persevere, who run the race. So James starts verse 7 like this, be patient. When you're in the middle of a trial, that's probably not really uh, the advice that you would like to be given or what you want to hear. Be patient, because then it means that there's no easy solution. To whatever trial you're facing there is a need for patience and I think uh, God knows that in order to navigate a trial well it takes patience now there's an old-fashioned word uh, that we don't really use very much anymore and that is the word long-suffering Has anyone heard of that delightful word, long-suffering? Probably the reason uh, that no one ever uses it anymore is because we don't want to talk about it. We don't like what it means. We don't want to think about suffering long. What an awful thought. We'd much rather no suffering than long-suffering or short-suffering if there has to be suffering. So as a society, we've basically just ditched the word. We've done away with it. Oh, (laughs) Judy, you are long suffering. (laughs) You are long suffering. Amazing. So, the reason that I mention that word, long suffering, is because I think it would be um, a great substitute at the beginning here in verse seven. In place of patient, James is saying, be long suffering. That is to have the ability to endure difficult circumstances no matter how long no matter what it is, without losing hope and faith. Be long-suffering. So the opposite of having patience and being long-suffering would be the impatient person, the one with the short temper, the short wick. So James is saying in every season, right, no matter what we face, when things are the hardest, Christians need to have a long fuse, not a short one. And having this patience means that we are slow to anger. Sound familiar, right? From James 1, 19 to 20, which we would have looked at a couple months ago. So it's not a new thought, uh, this patience thing, but rather a point that James feels the need to make quite a few times. Perhaps we're slow to learn. <laughs> He said, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We should be slow to anger, patient, and long suffering. And there's also a specific uh, application with this word patience in the original language, uh, which I found quite interesting. The exhortation to be patient. Uh, in this instance is most particularly about being patient with people. Not specifically about the type of trial or the length of the trial, although that's a good idea too. Sometimes people are part of whatever trial we're going through. Sometimes other people are the trial that we are going through. So either way, the exhortation here is to not be angry. Don't have a quick, short temper towards others as we go through our trial, whatever it may be and however long it lasts. So why does God want us to be patient? Aside from the fact that it is good for us and good for the people around us, I think it's because it is God's character. God is like that. God is long-suffering and patient. And we are called to emulate and to copy God's character to grow up into him. Our sanctification, that ongoing journey of us becoming more and more Christ-like that involves us becoming more and more patient. And God I mean God's patience with us, right? Just stop and reflect on that for a moment. How patient is God with you. I am so thankful. <laughs> So thankful for God's patience with me. He is long-suffering with me. And I know that it's not what I deserve. It's not what any of us deserve. We're not worthy of God's patience, but he gives it to us anyway, which makes it just um, all the more amazing, right? It's completely undeserved. So here's my thinking. If a holy God can be patient with me, then I can be patient for a little while while I wait for God to intervene on my behalf. If a holy God can be so patient with unholy me, then I can be patient in the middle of my trials. And if he can be patient with me, then I can certainly be patient with other people. Psalm 103 verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding and steadfast love. How great is our God, right? His patience towards us is mercy. He is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. As I was reading that, I thought, man, I want to make that my goal. How great would it be if people said that about me? How great would it be if that is what people said? about you. How merciful and gracious is Solari. She's slow to anger. She's abounding in steadfast love. I think that is a great goal to set for ourselves today, that we would be known for our mercy, for our grace, for our patience. People who are slow to anger and abounding in love. These qualities will help us to endure the trials that we face and keep our faith intact. So to help us, uh, a few practical points that we can pull out of this text um, to help us look at how we could be a little more patient, particularly in the midst of trials and particularly with people. So the first idea is to keep your hope ultimately in Christ's return not in anything else. This is a major theme from today's passage. If you look back through it, did you notice all the references to the return of Christ? He doesn't um, kind of go into any detail about what's going to happen in end times, but he makes several um, references to it. The great return of the Lord. Uh, James 5 verse 7, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Verse 8, you also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And verse 9, behold, the judge is standing at the door. I find, for me, the older I get, the more trials that I go through and the more I just long for Christ's return. He could come home today and I will be happy. I long for his rule and his reign. My hope is in him and his return. And I think that's the work of the Holy Spirit in us when we long uh, to have him come. That is his hand, the Holy Spirit actually moving in our lives and starting to bring about something positive through a trial, right? When we're in the midst of heartache, we turn to God and we remember and we think, he's coming, right? It's not going to be like this forever. And so if a trial can somehow develop my longing and anticipation for the return of Christ, even though it's difficult, then the trial isn't without um, some kind of positive effect. And I think that, that perspective can help us to be a little more patient. Keeping our hope in Christ's return reminds us it's not always going to be like this. This trial will not last forever. It might last for a while, but it's not forever. It will pass or Christ will return. And when Christ returns, right, every trial, every hard thing will be made right, will be made good and perfect. Everything upside down will be turned right way up. It is such good news Long-suffering is long, but it is not eternal. Praise God. Peter says, speaking of Christ's return, First Peter 1, 6, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Right? We can be encouraged that the little while that you may have suffered grief in all kinds of trials, it is indeed little when we place it next to eternity as our perspective it feels long in the moment but we can remember man this trial compared to all of eternity in paradise with Christ this isn't so much it is indeed just a little while as Peter says you know the second coming of Jesus that is the hope of the church the hope of Christ's return it is a proven, proven over and over again, effective like balm. It brings healing to the pain of the trials and suffering of this life. And, you know, the writers of the New Testament, I think they knew this. They always included eschatology in times in their pastoral responses to people who were suffering, going through persecution. They always referenced the coming of Christ because they know That is the great hope. That is what our soul needs, the greatest hope that we need to keep persevering, to keep enduring. So that's the first thing to say about how we can be more patient is to keep our hope ultimately where it should be in Christ's return, not on anything of this earth. So here's another idea about helping us to be more patient in the midst of trials. Uh, In verse eight, there's this beautiful phrase and it says, establish your heart. Establish your heart. What does that mean? I think it is talking about the commitment of your heart. It's about having a heart that is fully committed and loyal to Christ. A heart that seeks him above all else. A heart whose whole allegiance is to Christ. Remember earlier in James 1, he talked about a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So to establish our heart is the opposite of this. God desires us to have a singular focus of our heart, not to be double-minded. He calls us to be stable in our commitments and single-minded in faith. And I think um, what would help us to be more stable and committed and probably a little more patient, uh, as if we can be stable and committed to our spiritual disciplines. Those are the things that keep us grounded, that keep us focused on Christ. I think our faith and our hearts are not so easily shaken when we are committed and focused on spending time in prayer, spending time in the Word of God, coming weekly to fellowship and worship corporately. And to hear his word preached. Those things, they keep us solid and grounded, established hearts. Be committed to those things that God asks us to do. And I think you'll find, you know, a daily commitment to those things, you feel the difference. You feel the difference. Your heart is stable and grounded, not easily shaken. I think it's easy for us to prioritise other things in life, right? If we're honest, often reading the word of God or prayer for ourselves or for our family and friends becomes bottom of the list. After cooking dinner and doing the dishes and driving here and picking up that thing, our spiritual disciplines can often be the last thing we think of. We've got to flip that around and prioritise God and his ways so that our heart is established and strong. And out of that, your patience will flow. Hmm. Next one, number three, look for an example. James 5.10, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. And man, we could look at so many examples of those Old Testament prophets. They were amazing. Um, They really do show you how to negotiate uh, trials and persecution with Patience, they were very um, long-tempered, right? They were long-suffering. They were so patient with people, even though they faced great adversity, um, rejection. People were very hard on those prophets of old. They're great examples. You can research them some more in your own time. This morning, I wanted to encourage you that we can also Find examples in everyday people. The people all around us are amazing examples. This church community is full of great examples of people who are long-suffering, who have been patient and faithful in different trials that they have faced, and they have come out the other end with their faith intact. I can think of many of you, you know, and you've faced challenges with health, challenges with workplace, careers, challenges in family relationships, and your patience and your commitment to Christ in the midst of these trials, it is such an example and so encouraging to the people around you. You never know what your testimony will do in someone else's life. So I think, man, how do we go about finding these examples? How do I know what's happening in other people's worlds? A couple of great ideas for you. I have always found that being part of a connect group actually puts me in the right place to hear about other people's trials, their victories, what they have been through, what they have walked through. When you're in that environment, people open up and they share their life with one another. That is an awesome place to be encouraged and find examples of people who have been patient through trials. So if you're not part of a connect group here, please come and talk to Judy afterwards. We've got heaps of great connect groups that you can be a part of. It is so helpful for your journey, so helpful uh, in maturing your faith. And another way, I think, to hear about great examples among us is to come early, come down at 10.30, come and have a coffee, make time to get to know one another. Stick around afterwards. You know, don't plan to leave as soon as I I drop the mic. Boom. Stick around. Have coffee afterwards, right? That's when, that's the body of Christ. That's half the reason we gather. It's not just for this service in here. It's for the fellowship that happens out there. It's just as important to hear one another's stories, to praise God for what he's done in someone's life. And along the way, you are so encouraged. God has designed us, right, to be in fellowship, to be in a church community is so helpful for us. So here's what we've covered so far, helping us to be patient, keeping our hope ultimately in Christ's return, establishing our heart, looking for examples around us. And here's another one, to look forward to God's blessing James 5.11 says, Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. I think this follows on very well from the previous point. As we look for examples to follow and inspire us in our patience, we can consider the blessings in people's lives as a direct result from their steadfast spirit and the patience that they have shown. God blesses those who endure, both in this life and the next to come. Right, It's such an amazing thought, and I think it gives us some perseverance to be patient with whatever you're facing. We can look forward to God's blessing. We can see it in other people's lives, and we can see it in our own. Great to remain thankful and aware of God's blessing. And the last thought, number five, says, Behold the character of God. James 5.11, You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Now, for those of us who might be here and have never read the story of Job, um, I can give you the big idea from it. Job knew great prosperity. He was exceedingly abundantly rich and well off. And then he also knew great, great suffering. He experienced both of those in a way that I think we could only imagine. And he discovered more about God in his suffering than he did in his prosperity. That's the big picture. He discovered more about God in his suffering than he did in his prosperity. Job went through the most horrendous trial We can't even comprehend it. And yet somehow he came through it. He came through it blessed and refined. And the most important thing, he came through it knowing God more, more intimately. He was more in love with God. He was closer to him on account of suffering the trial. Now, please don't think that in this I'm um, romanticizing or downplaying suffering in any way. I'm not. I do not want you to suffer. I don't want to suffer. When I pray for you, I do not pray that suffering would come. I pray that your trials would end. I pray for your prosperity and your health. So I'm not saying we start thinking of trials um, through rose-coloured glasses or how wonderful and glamorous they are. No way. That's not what I'm saying. But as it was for Job, you know, that if we will persevere, if we persevere with patience in faith through the trials, then we come to know more of God's character in a way that we could not learn any other way. That only comes through trial rather than that time of prosperity or ease. God draws us closer so that we can know his character, so that we can know him Intimately, so that we can see and know his compassion and his mercy. It's what James says, verse 11: the Lord is compassionate and merciful. It's in times of trial that we often see that. So, I just want to finish with the scripture I touched on earlier, 1 Peter 1:6 to 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary. You have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has blessed you. For more information about our church, you can find us online at c3grow.org.